let's start tipping other people that fucking deserve it. Airline pilots, these people have our fucking lives in their hands. And what do we do whenever we get off a plane? Hey, thanks. Really? Would it fucking kill you to give that guy a dollar? How much more fun would air travel be with announcers like, this is Captain Stearns, we'll be flying at 37,000 feet today. And for a few extra bucks, the people on the left can watch me suck those geese through the engine. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's fun to do on a plane? Halfway through when we hit turbulence, I like to stagger out of the bathroom in a pilot suit holding a whiskey bottle, right? Okay. <laughs> Where they're like, who's flying the plane? I'm like, some Iraqi got on and yelled, shotgun. I gave him my seat. Is that That's uh, vintage Gino Bisconti right there. Uh, hey, everybody. It's Tony Mazur here with you. And uh, yes, part two of my conversation. I guess you can call it that with Gino. Uh, <laughs> it was more of a, it was almost like a phone call. Pretty much what it was. It was like, a, it was like when you have a phone call with a buddy and you just hit record. That's pretty much what it was. So, uh, But no, it was a good conversation this time, which it's funny because I open up by going, oh, we'll wrap up here soon, and still did another hour, <laughs> hour plus. So got to talk to him about, I was asking him about his favorite New York clubs, uh, his relationship with his co-host Aaron Berg of In Hot Water from Compound Media. Then we got into COVID and we got into the trutherism and the masks and everything and the social distance and all that kind of stuff. And then we wrapped up the conversation talking about sports and why he's a fan of the San Diego slash Los Angeles Chargers and his favorite Phillies teams is since he's from Vineland, New Jersey, not too far away. So here's part two of my conversation with the great Gino Bisconti of In Hot Water. And go check out his album. It's still available. It's called Uncle Gino is Amazing. I'm trying to tell you something about my life Maybe give me insight between black and white And the best thing you ever So, So I wanted to ask you three, three more things and we can wrap, which those three things will take probably an hour at this point, too. Aggressive dick pics. Oh, go on. Yeah, well, no, that's on Gum Fridays. So, uh, yes. or you show your assholes. Uh, yes. uh, Alex, uh, my ex Alex isn't in town in two weeks and I'm not going to fuck her. Yes, yeah, exactly. By the way, Alex is exactly like my last ex. Like, uh, same mannerisms, same, like, caustic, whatever. Anyway. Dead uh, just nothing <clears throat> behind them. So, so the first thing I wanted to ask, which is a quick one, rank the New York comedy clubs. Best when to I worst. God, my, my dream was to work the Comedy Cellar, fucking Caroline's, and the comic strip. This shows you how comedy has changed now. No desire to work fucking the comedy seller not like and again not that they're fucking not like my phone's ringing off the hook not like i'm getting buzzed like i am by ups every five minutes <laughs> no desire to work that now and not and and i i i fucking get angry but it, they're fine I, some of my best friends worked at club me and fucking me and fucking berg were both past there and we we're like fuck this berg more so than me but like i told you my story with that they're like you're too you're too fucking harsh and i just rolled my eyes and fucking walked to the bar and uh, Caroline's number two, which I worked so much when I was younger, and I love Caroline's because they fucking—they're like a little—they're like—they're like mother birds, and they're like when you're young, they bring you in and fucking—they—they—they're they, like, yeah, come on, do spots, and then once you get big enough, they kick you out, and we're like, come back when you're all grown up, and you can fill up the room. So I love that, and someday we'll do that. And the third one is the comic strip, and that's a shithole now. But don't get me wrong, I don't mean it's not their fault. It just went to shit. I haven't even heard a peep from them in the past four months after the lockdown. But after Lucian, who was one of the last great bookers, he fucking got Seinfeld and Murphy going. Uh, 
once he fucking passed away, that club went to shit. That's how much it's changed. Now, if you ask me the best club in the world, New York Comedy Club, which has been great to me, it's where I film my album, Uncle Gino is Amazing, taped it. I didn't really film it. Please, if you uh, have it, Google, go to my website, Gino Visconti. I've listened to it, yep. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. Um, Stand Up New York, which is fucking doing park shows and they're adapting to the pandemic, you know what I mean? Uh, and those are, oh, and of course, uh, the, the, the uh, fucking, uh, the Ice House in Pasadena in LA. Yes. Because they fucking, that's, that's another, it's, New York Comedy Club, and this is the old days when we used to do comedy inside. Pasadena, uh, the Ice House and New York Comedy Club, they're kill boxes. It's like literally, it's a perfect fucking low ceiling, dim lighting, not black, Holy dim lighting where jokes spill <laughs> and bounce off the room. What'd you do? Chair, chair broke. Ah, I didn't see it. I can't rewind it. God so damn those, it. Are, those are the, my three favorite comedy clubs in, in the country. But right now, I'm getting most of my work from Stand Up New York doing park shows and New York Comedy Club doing road games. Yeah, the Ice House. I was out there last year, and yeah, it is a, it is a monster club. I want, I, I wanted to go back again, but the day I went to California, and when I was out there, I'm gonna go on, have, have to go on a stool at this point. Hey, buddy, nice cry. Thank you. Daddy, no. The, um, I uh, when I was out there in uh, L.A., it was March 11th, which was the day things got shut down. Jesus. And it was. So what I did was that night I went to a Kings-Senators game at Staples Center. I saw Soul Asylum at a small club in uh, just outside of L.A. And then I went to the Comedy Store, which it was basically like the last night of the Comedy Store. And when I say that, the last night of the true Comedy Store, because it's not going to be the same anymore. No. Comedy Store is... With... No, I guess Rogan... I guess the the Cap the Cap City Comedy Club is a done deal though. I don't even know the Cap City. I don't even know or, what that uh, is. Uh, down in Austin, and so each night of the week, I think Rogan's going to be on there every single night, and he's going to have Tony Hinchcliffe, and he's going to have all his guys, uh, Red Band, and all all of them, and it's gonna it's going to be a monster. It's going to be a monster yeah. in Austin, and the comedy the comedy store is going to be back to where it was in the '90s and the early 2000s. Uh, this is how much comedy has changed. I was in L.A. And by the way, next time you're uh, in L.A., let me know. I'll shout out to my girl, Dee, who books the Ice House. <laughs> okay. Uh, and and she, she, she loves me. She's great. I've known her forever, and she's so good to me. Um, and uh, see if anything's going on for you. But what's I going to say? Uh, this is how it changed. I love the Comedy Store. I used to go, when I would go out to L.A., you know, it's like I do a couple spots, but, you know, it's good for the brand because they take a picture on your stage. You're on the belly room at, at 2 in the morning, and they're like, look at Gino at the Comedy Store, and it sells that narrative. But I used to few spots there but nothing major but the last time i went because this is what goes on at the comic store now greatest drinking porch in the world mm. i don't have to tell you uh and it's behind a glass which uh, that faces one room but now in order to allow people to drink look who's calling uh, me and say, <laughs> ah, he called me two days ago answer it that nah, don't bother hey, Wait, answer on. it tell him you're talking to me hey what's up man tony mazer hey i'm doing i'm doing a podcast with gino visconti right now <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. What? what did he say? He said, I'm sorry to hear that. I fucking love it. He's an idiot. I love that guy. Uh, tell, uh, tell him to plug hey. the. Uh, I'm doing his podcast next oh, week. Oh, so, you're, so you're doing the podcast with. Uh, uh, so Gino's doing your podcast, right? Next Thursday. Next Thursday. Okay. Hey. Now, well, you see, now he tells me because I, they, they, I listen. Tell him I listen. Well, can he hear me? Can yeah. he hear me? Uh, 
Uh, no, no, because I'm in headphones and everything. Okay, well, tell him I would listen to because I do. I'm a, I'm a Patreon sub, and I listened to his last one where I called in. And then fucking what's-his-name makes fun of me afterwards, and I mean it in the best way because I love fucking Kevin Brennan. He's like, he's like, uh, he's like, I hung up. I said, let me know about the podcast. He's like, you're on it. Why doesn't he, why does he, why does he say let me know? I didn't know when it was, so we're doing it next Thursday. Tell next him Thursday. Yeah. Just don't text me the info. Skype me. Yeah, he's he's yelling through my my earbuds. So yeah. Hey, let me let me call you back after this. That's fine. No okay. Problem. All right. Hey, I'll, I'll credit him as a guest on the podcast. You didn't, you didn't plan that. You're throwing out all the big names. I was uh, talking to Gino Bisconti, who will let me finish, and then Chad Zumach called in. <clears throat> what? Are you, who are you talking about? <laughs> but as I was saying, uh, the comedy story. This how much has changed because. They're the woke people in L.A., you know, that is that blue fucking state with fucking Newsom. They're out to get them. So they this is how they fucking justify selling drinks on that porch. They open the the, uh, the curtain that's usually closed so you can see into that room. And they have people sit behind a table doing podcasts so they can say it's live entertainment, even though you can't hear it. And the last time I was there, I did the Friday podcast with fucking uh, Inappropriate Earl, Earl Skakel. I did that. Love Earl. And I did Saturday's fucking, you know, a tinfoil hat podcast with Sam Tripoli. And, you know, it's like it was the equivalent of headlining the original room. You know what I mean? Because it's the only show in town yep. and I'm on it. And it's it, that's how much it's changed. But I love doing it, you know. Yeah. So it uh, so. Uh, so the other thing I want to ask you was because uh, we were talking about two comedians. How did you meet Aaron Berg? And the second part to that question is what was Aaron like when he wasn't sober? Uh, he's dreaming. <laughs> he was. This is how the I love telling this story because I love Aaron Berg and and, and this it, it is the ultimate improving, like I'll take it. But I always back, but my ex Alex used to always get mad. She's like, "Do you still love that girl Sarah?" And I go, "How could you not love the woman that I, I would always say I'm the happiest I've ever been?" She's like, "You are." I'm like, "How could you not love the woman that's partly responsible for that?" Because uh, when we broke up, I'm the one that never in a relationship. Like I I said this to fucking Amanda Gale because we were talking about relationships. I'm that guy. I'm like yeah. Because we were doing the alpha dog bit. I'm like, I'm a very alpha guy. But I'm like, in relationships, I'm the beta cuck. I am. I'm the, we can make this work. Let's hang on. And she was the one that said, we're breaking up. This, and, and I know so many comics back then that were doing way better than me that would have their girlfriend or wife say, it's comedy or me. And she was the opposite. She's like, look, I get it. You're never going to quit doing this. I'm like, I can't. She's like, I know. I can't live like this anymore. We're breaking up. And we were friends after that. You know what I mean? Um... So she started fucking that job. I'm kidding. Uh, and if she didn't do that, I would have never been in the places that I needed to be to fucking, you know, wind up where I was. So when when the stand first opened up the old one and I would always host and Berg would always host. So we kind of knew each other through hosting. And then we'd go out drinking because he used to drink. Right. And we would fucking we were enabling each other like whichever one was like, all right, I'm done. The other one would be like, no, we're going to another bar. You don't know how many times like I'm going home. And I expected to come to at home, and I would come to in front of a fucking glass of Johnny Walker Black at a bar called Blue Ruin with Berg going, this is great, huh, buddy? I mean, he... So we hung out and would get drunk all the time, and then he quit drinking, and... Now, did he quit? Because uh, I'm going to have him on at some point in the near future. Yeah. Did he quit because he felt like he had a true problem, or did he feel that he couldn't go on... Because Patrice O'Neill always told about this story, about... He couldn't go on stage drinking because then he would have to go on every night drinking and that he would have to be at that level. So you have to say, look, I can't be drunk every time I go on stage. I have to show people I can be funny, sober and drunk. Now, was that See, what the case was? 
this shows the dichotomy of Meenberg exactly. He was the smart one where he said, I can't do this anymore because he's like one time he's like, uh, he said, uh, who was it? I'll think of what I'm not thinking of. Uh, Mike Lawrence. He goes, he goes, hey, Mike, what do you want for your intro? He's like, you brought me up two comics ago. That's how fucked up he was. That's how fucked up he was. And, and, I, and this was another reason why I used to drink because I really don't drink anymore. And I'll get to why I don't that much. Let me rephrase. I drink when it's fun and worth it. I got drunk at the Comedians of the Compound uh, secret show the other day. I got drunk in AC with people, got obliterated. And I got drunk yesterday on the show for shits and giggles. And if you watch the bonus content, I did cocaine with Larry Bayer, which was fucking hilarious. Was it cocaine um, or was it cocaine? It was, it was, it was, cocaine. <laughs> was it? Let, let, watch the bonus content and you'll see. Because that, um, that was the one day where Alex came in, where she was wearing That his... was real cocaine. The time before he brought fake cocaine and people thought it was real cocaine. And then when they saw the Alex one, they're like, oh, no, that was fake cocaine because that was real cocaine. But Berg <laughs> is like, this is why I thought I, wasn't, I didn't have a drinking problem. I still don't think I do, which is probably why I do it. But he, I'm like, how much did you use to drink? And he's like, I would have a bottle of red wine. He's like, I'd have a bottle of red wine a night. And I was like, wow. And, and before I could even say, wow, I think he goes, and then he would say, and then I would go out and do three spots. I'm like, what? You know what I mean? <laughs> he would start drinking in the middle of the day, take a nap. I'm like, wow. But he's so good. He's like, and he's like, I can't do this anymore. And he stopped. Stop. He never went to a meeting. He went to a meeting once for a different reason. He never went to a meeting. And he's like, and I'm going to quit smoking too. And he stopped. Now, I fucking quit drinking during the pandemic. And I'll get into how me and Berg met. Well, I quit drinking during the pandemic because it wasn't fun anymore. I've told this countless times on the show. I don't know what time when we used to do morning shows, you have to get up uh, to get to Midtown Manhattan at 9 a.m. and show up with a bottle of Jameson. But I was raised by these fun people. My uncle Frank, he was fucking his... Him and my old man, they lived across the street from each other, my, my mom and her sister. So my Uncle Frank would come over and drink with my father and not get hammered, but they'd sit there and have highballs, and it was so cool. And I was raised like that. So if someone shows up with whiskey, one, I'm going to drink with them. Two, I'm going to take them across the street to the bar Sullivan's and drink afterwards, as you're familiar with. But when you say no fans are allowed in the studio, no one's bringing me booze. When you're saying the bar across the street is closed, no one's allowed to drink. Why it's not, it's not fun. It's not fun anymore. It's not fun. And I have, a, I have a cabinet full of booze. I'm like, I would sit there and not drink. But Berg, he quit for that reason. And then once I quit, people are like, Gino, you're so much sharper on the show. And I was having so much more fun with myself. <clears throat> so I'm like, I'm done with it. You know, because it's just not like I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, it's, it's more fun without it for me. And I like fun. But I bumped into Berg one night. This is how, like, if you're in the right spot, everything happens quickly. I bumped into Berg one night. I'll never forget. January 2016. Uh, and I just got done hosting the early show at The Stand. And he comes in. And he's like, hey. Do you do a podcast? And this is back when I used to do a weekly Geno's Picks football podcast, but only during football season. Like, hey, do you do a podcast? And I said, yeah, but it's just a football one, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, why? You know? And he's like, well, someone asked me today, how's this for a compliment? He goes, someone asked me today if I did a podcast. And I said, no. I said, the only person I'd want to do a podcast with is Gino Bisconti. Aaron Berg said that to me. And I'm like, let's do a fucking podcast. Now, you've, like, you had known him about, what, about five, six years before then? No, we'd known each other two, three years, maybe. Oh, because he because he came to New York in 2010, right? I don't know. Like it's so funny because he came and he sublet for a while, then he left, then he came back full bore. <clears> I think you'd have to ask him. That's how that's how much when we were drinking, we we were dudes. We didn't talk about that shit, right? So he's like, the only one is Gino, and I'm like, let's do it. And he's like, and this is he had no idea how to do a podcast. Like, not that it's hard, but you just don't know. And I had a guy years ago put everything on my laptop where all I have to do is what I said to him. He's like, how do we do it? I'm like, I bring my laptop to your place. I bring the microphone and we talk for an hour. And he says to me, because he knows nothing about how it's done. He's like, 
He goes, I have a hot tub. His old place like, we'll do it in my hot tub. We'll call it in hot water. That's where the name came from. That's where the name came from, okay? It's not because we get ourselves in hot water. So I literally turn around, go to the bar. Jeffrey Gorian is there. Jeffrey Gorian has a thing called Comedy Matters. It's a little fucking, you know, fucking sheet, whatever he, he sends out. Uh, it's, a, it's a newsletter he sends out every couple weeks. Uh, and he's like, so what have you been up to? Oh, and it, me and him have the same birthday. I'll never forget. So I'm like, hey, it was like a, a week or two after December 29th. I'm like, hey, birthday buddy, we have to have a drink. And he's like, he's like, all right, so we have a drink. He's like, what have you been up to? I'm like, I'm starting a podcast with Aaron Berg. He literally puts it in the thing. So a day later, not even a day later, 12 hours after we just said we're starting a podcast, he puts it in the thing. People are like, oh, that's so perfect. You, So the podcast is me and him at his place. We do it for fucking maybe, maybe fucking 10 episodes, okay? Maybe 10. Uh, and uh, I do I do fucking uh, Anthony Cunha. I do his show. And I do great because, you know, this is what we do. We've been doing it for years. Uh, and I do great. And then a week later, Aaron Berg goes on and he kills. And he says, he's like, I do a podcast with Gino Biscani. And they're like, oh, my God, this is and this is exactly when Legion of Skanks are leaving. Hello, right place. Hell, hello, right time. So this is back when I used to go to L.A. for like, you know, a month at a time, twice a year. And the next time I do the show about fucking two weeks later, fucking uh, Keith the cop comes up to me after I get done. And I'm literally walking out the door and I'm like, I'm about to pack and go to L.A. And my mind's already in L.A. And Keith the cop says to me, he's like, hey, I hear you and Berg do a podcast together. And I say, yeah. He's like, you ever think of doing one in the studio? That's what he says to me, and I go, yeah, that sounds great. We do it on our laptop. It's so much fun, and I leave. I leave, and a week later, I'm in L.A., not fucking Stacey Pressman. A week later, <laughs> I'm in L.A. for the third time, probably three, four times I didn't fuck her in Joe DeRosa's bed. I'm in L.A., and I get a call from Aaron Berg, and he, he goes, hey, stupid. <laughs> I go, yeah. It's like, I just did the Kumya show. Did Keith the Cop offer us a show last week? I'm like, Oh, yeah, he might have. And he just goes, I'll call you back. Click. Calls me back an hour later. He's like, we're starting on. The, he's like, I, I talked to Keith. We're going to start a, a podcast there. Uh, we're going to bring our podcast there. I'm like, that's great. And he, and he goes, this is how much we're getting a show. And it wasn't much. I'm like, I'm like who cares? Because, you know, he's very responsible. I'm like, we're getting paid to have an audience, you know. And then he calls me back two days later. And this is my favorite part. He's like, great news. Kumya's in rehab. I'm like, what? <laughs> I remember goes, this guy. Me, he goes, let me explain. He goes, Cunha's in rehab. He's going to be gone for two weeks. They're going to have a lot of people guest host, and they want us to guest host the couple. And it is one of the proudest accomplishments ever. Uh, the last show, before he came back, they had me and Berg host it, you know, to roll out our show. And, you know, it was great. It was great. And it's just right place, right time. And that's how we wound up doing it on water. And then it just evolved from once a week to four days a week in the morning to what we're doing now, opening up for the boss. And, it, again, it's like, there's no plan for it. It's just get out, say what you want to say, hang out with the people you love and respect, and boom, you're there. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it really, it really kind of worked out because uh, the <clears throat> I remember watching you guys. I think the first introduction I had to In Hot Water, like your show, was Kumia said, can you believe what these guys are, are doing? Because like, Kumia would talk about two shows. One would be Gavin McInnes, yeah. and then another would be he would talk about In Hot Water. And it was... I, I don't even remember the context. I just remember Aaron has his shirt off and he's dressed like a big baby and like a diaper. That was when we were making fun of that red bar faggot. Yeah. Yeah, it was just like... <laughs> baby podcaster that was. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I remember watching it. I'm like, what is this? And I had to start watching and I was like, 
it, it took me a little bit because it's funny because it's stupid. It takes it's so stupid. You you have to when it comes to new podcasts, you have to kind of give it a little bit, not for them, but for you because they're established or they they might be still working on things, but it's not the first episode. You have to give it a little bit of time. And I remember I was you guys were still doing one day a week, and I'm like, okay, all right, this is interesting. Okay, that's kind of funny. All right, that's all right, that's really funny. And I'm like, all right, well, I can't wait till next week. And then you guys, and then one of the great decisions was to put you guys four days a week. Which how, yeah, how, I, how did that how did that change for somebody who are you two are night owls, and now now uh, you have to you have to get into the you have to basically wake up at seven in the morning to take a train. I don't to get know how he does it with the wife and the kid in the spots. Like the thing that affected me the most was I do that sports sheet. Which, in all seriousness, five nights a week, and sports don't end on the East Coast. That's why I used to love going to L.A. They're done at 9 o'clock there. Sports don't end until midnight or 1 o'clock, so I would have to fucking go to sleep and wake up. But it worked because it's like we'd get up and we'd work in naps. But it was like, it's like the hardest part was getting up. But you saw once we got in the studio, we're like, all right, let's fucking dance. And we were so, like, Berg was the one. I wanted to do a morning show, and he wanted to do three hours. He wanted to be the next Opie and Anthony, the next Howard Stern. And he wanted to do three. They're like, we can give you an hour before morning. And so we did it, and it's like everything else. What we wanted, it didn't turn into, and it suddenly became, why is it, why is, it's like, we're, we're not a morning show. We're just a fucking ridiculous show that happens to be on in the morning, and it caught on so much, and this is one of the, it's such a compliment, like, fucking during the pandemic, E-Rock said, look, when he took over, he's like, look, it's like, we're changing some stuff at the studio, uh, and we want you to be the lead in for, uh, for the boss. And when he says that, I'm like, I'm the coolest man that's ever lived. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and the one thing I miss is I love the crossover I used to do with Morning. You know, I love that. Uh, and I loved being the opening show on the network to start the day. But my life has gotten so much better with this new schedule. Because now I, I get on the sheet or I do spots and I'm not stressed. About, like, you can't fall asleep when you're like, I have to be up in four hours. You can't fall asleep. You know what I mean? Now it's like I fucking pass out and wake up without an alarm. I do the intermittent fasting thing that I lucked into. And I'm never hungry in the morning. By the time I'm done the show, I can eat like a pig. Everything about it is so much better. You know what I mean? And during the pandemic, when we were doing fucking mornings, uh, and four days a week, I'm at, I'm at the desk and fucking Berg is Skyping in. That's when we realized we are so good at, at everyone's spot. Like Berg can always Skype in. Don't get me wrong. We love him in the studio, but even when he's in the studio, half the time he's in that booth and the energy's 10 times better with him in the studio. But we were able to do it like that without missing a show, without missing a beat. We got so many emails from fans. So many tweets, so many texts, so many DMs saying, God, thank God for you guys. Thank God for what you're doing, you know? And, and it was such a great, it was like, I used to call my brother because when the bullshit lie of a pandemic first started and they were selling the deaths, which we know now were from the flu. And yep. we know that fucking only 9,000 people died of COVID. And we know that the people that died of those, of those tens and hundreds of thousands had two point, an average of 2.6 existing comorbidities. Like well, I would go to the door and I'd be like, I'd go outside, I'm like, 700 people died today? You wouldn't see it, but I'd freak out. I wouldn't freak out. But then after about a month, because I'd call my brother every day saying, this is what I'm doing. I'm fucking on the subway. Uh, but then it's like I said to my brother like a month later, I'm like, look, Peter, I know I'm not Walter Cronkite, but sitting behind that desk every day is the greatest thing. It's one of the greatest things in my lifetime. Just the power to fucking be able to do my job, to not be afraid. And now it's almost like four months later, what are they selling? Infections. Because everyone's outside, so more people are getting it. That's what I'm doing. That's why you probably hear the wind in the background uh, on the podcast yeah. here. It's I'm outside on the day we're recording this in the October. Wind. The wind, but you know it's airborne. Oh. Yeah, 
And that's what they do. And, 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 and fucking, they want people to be afraid of infections when infections should go up because no one's dying from it. I'm sorry. And more people are going outside because they should be. And if you read that thing, it's it, the, the, Bar- the Great Barrington Declaration, or it's the Barrington Declaration. I'm confusing with the Great Barrier Reef, who was on our show once in the early, early days. Uh, it said it. It's like, here's what we need to do. We need to let young, healthy people go outside and live their lives. We need to fucking introduce ourselves to the herd immunity. People are like, no, no, we need to keep everyone scared. And I don't know what your thoughts are on politics, but this is, I don't know who's going to win, but here's what I, 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 people, you say it'll all go away when the election fucking is over. No. I disagree. I think the fucking blue idiots fucking started this, and now it's even gotten away from them. <clears throat> and now you got fucking idiots like fucking Biden who dances like a monkey. No offense to Black Lives Matter. Who dances <laughs> like a monkey. Oh, I'm very proud of that statement. Who dances like a monkey and says, oh, well, I'm going to make it mandatory to wear a mask. And he says it for no other reason than he, than he then that's the side he wants, the people that, that are buying into this, oh my God. And it's terrifying to me just how stupid people can be. I'm the guy that doesn't wear my mask on the subway. I'm the guy that sits there. You saw me. We had a fan who died of cancer, died of cancer, because cancer is what kills people, not COVID. And we did a GoFundMe, and I even tweeted, I'm like, next time you see me on the subway without a mask, don't say anything or I will shove this GoFundMe <laughs> in my face. A fucking man that died of stage four fucking cancer and left kids behind. I didn't get to bury my, see my grandfather when he died. Should have lived, hung out with him when he was alive. I don't have time for your fucking, I feel bad fucking bullshit narrative. <laughs> Ask these kids who got to sit with their dad every day while he wasted away to a skeleton what you were missing. You self-indulgent, self-absorbed, make it about me, cunt. So it, my, I've seen my grandparents once since Christmas, and it was my wedding day. And they were in the church. They and, were trying to talk you out of it. I'm kidding. Yeah, exactly. They were there. They're scared to death, of course, because they're in their 80s. Yeah. And we got a quick picture, and they left. Yeah. I, I've talked to them on the phone and everything. But here's the thing. is They always say, oh, you're not very pro-life if you if you think that old people should die. And I'm like... My grandparents have had 80-plus good years. Yep. They've had 80-plus good years. I'm not saying they should die. Just nope. selective quarantine. But the 20-year-old... You know the average life expectancy in America right now is 79. The average age of death of COVID is 83. 83 so that's now. that's another thing you can tell people. My grandparents got COVID. Congratulations. Way to add some years on. So go on. I want to hear this story. So, uh, so I haven't seen them. And like when I hear people saying, like, well, I, you know, I haven't seen my grandmother... It's like, well, you shouldn't see your grandma then. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, I know that sucks, especially if you're from an Italian family, that yeah. it, it sucks. But you, the, those are the sacrifices you should make. Not telling me that I need to stay home. I'm 32. I go to the gym four days a week. I play beer league softball. I try to stay you in shape. Out, you love that sauna, right? You love that speed. Absolutely. I, 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 I like the schwitz, you know, with, with all straight men, right? Of course. <laughs> the, but, like, I try to take care of myself, and this is what was driving me crazy and why you may not have dr- drank a lot during the lockdown, but here in Ohio, we were locked down for about two and a half months, right. like full lockdown, and I drank a lot during that time. And yeah. I didn't want to, but it was like, what am I going to do? It's a Saturday. Normally, we're going to a concert, we're going to a bar, we're going to a restaurant, we're hanging out with friends. Instead, I got to stay home, and I'm watching Tiger King, or I'm watching In Hot Water reruns, or whatever yeah. I'm doing. And... I'm like, there's an, it, it's 10 in the morning. What am I going to do until I go to work on Monday? I just, I'm just going to get shit-faced and just drink. And it's, it, what, what bothered me about this, and, and I've gotten, boy, I get people, I piss so many people off on Twitter Good. with this. Because, and, and actually, and, I, and now that, because what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to split this podcast in two. I'll tell you the truth here, is I had been host. Oh, that gives us more time to hang out then. Yeah. Go on, buddy. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'll split it over like an hour. We'll do a two, two for a podcast there. Um, so 
I had been, I produced a morning show in Akron and at WAKR, the first time I'd actually said where I were. And uh, so. Do you, guys, do you guys do the fucking sheet that I work on? Do you. Not, the, not anymore. I, I used to. I used to uh, years so ago. So let me ask you seriously. You used to get Gino's sports sheet? Yes, I did. You were. It was like part of the part of the package. It was like Mr. Prep or it was something. I forgot what uh, it was. It, Dr. Dave's ultimate sports sheet. Yeah. No, Dr. Dave's ultimate prep sheet or whatever. But let me ask you. So, like, did you? How did people use it? This I've always been curious about this. How did people fucking use that? So what I would do is I would go on the website and I would print out stories that would be like because it wasn't just that it would be like pop culture, it'd be politics, it would be sports, it'd be you know whatever whatever the case. And it's up there. It's easy to read. It's like a you know it's a fifth it's a fourth grade level reading right, here's and everything. My Pictures because, and again, dude, this is making my day because people are just like, have you ever heard it read? I'm like, well, I think they all use it differently. But would you let me see? Would you just fucking read it? And like take a joke or take the insight because I like and, and seriously this is look at my face when I say this you're making my day because I always wonder like I just write stream of consciousness and I say this is how I would read it but you could read it like oh there's a joke in here but I also think the jokes I've always said this about my videos the jokes are what you make you remember the facts yeah. you know what I mean did you read it like that I'm well, just genuinely curious well the thing is when I would do it personally when I would read your sports sheet I would try to I would see where you're going with it because I knew your humor and I know my humor and I would right. I would it would be like hearing the same joke but telling it in two different ways right and that's what it would be like so you would say it and be like okay well I need to say it in the Tony Mazer way not the Gina Visconti way so right. I th that's how I would do it and I would print that's it out what I, that's what I want like I, I think people could read it word for word but I, I like to think that's what I always tell people like have you ever heard your joke on the air and I'm like I think people just make it their own but I'll tell you I get fucking I got this one guy who's so pissed with me <laughs> I should say that, but, but whenever I get, like, I rarely do, but whenever I get, like, I never get a compliment on it. And I don't mean that in a bad way, because you don't. It's, I'm doing my job when it's good. But every couple months, I'll get an email from a guy that's like, this is, I hate this. Leave, let Colin Kaepernick alone. I did a joke about BLM the other day. Somebody complained, but I don't get mad, because they're always like, look, I love this sheet, but I disagree with this, you know? And we saw an episode of the show. I'm sorry, I'm getting, because uh, you said it wasn't video. Now I'm just wandering around like a crazy person. But he literally said, like, whenever they bash me, it's always because they love the sheet. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's not even bad. They're like, the last guy's like, oh, because this happened two days ago. And this guy in Iowa, he sent me an email a couple weeks ago saying, we get it. You're Republican. You think fucking, and we talked about this on the show making fun of me, and it was great. They're like, they're like he doesn't think COVID's real, blah, blah, blah. But can he use, can he stop, you know, using, like, site, like, sources that are so easy to discredit, like, the blaze and and we and I'm like this guy. We were talking about on the show, laughing at him, calling me an idiot, and we loved it. And then his light is like, I said, uh, baseball ratings were down. I'm like, it's almost like they don't. It's almost like people are pissed off about the BLM narrative they shoved down our throats, and now it's the playoffs, and they're just putting advertisers on. And he bashes me on it, but he's not like I'm fucking done with this. He's like, come on, dude, I love your sheet. I I, I don't want to read this shit. So yeah. it's kind of a great thing. That's the only feedback I get. So getting back to you, I love that you're saying people like a lot of people really like it, which is great to hear because I've been doing it. I've been doing it going on six years now, and I love doing it. I love yeah, doing it. I haven't used it in a while because we had a free trial. Inaccurate and throw about BLM. <laughs> we, we had a free trial and it was one of those like, hey, if you uh, give us a shout out and uh, do a commercial, then you can get unlimited. And I'm like, 
yeah, no, we're not going to do a commercial for a prep service. Uh, yeah, at, uh, we don't want to let people know that we use a prep service, which which I get. It, well, it was it was a free it was a prep service for people who don't know in radio. A prep service is for lazy radio people who don't want to do their own. Uh, <laughs> yeah, who don't who don't want to do their own research. So, but uh, no, that was. But just, I always say, let me ask you this, and then we'll get back yeah. to it. But I love I love this inside information for myself. I always say, it's for terrestrial radio, not for people like you that have been in it for so long, but. Am I wrong to believe uh, that terrestrial radio now, it's like it's like all the people worth hiring have been in it forever or fucking went to satellite radio, but the people that fucking are new and just coming in, they don't get paid. They're kids that have no personality and they know how to run a fucking soundboard, so they need my words to fucking read because they know nothing and they have no sense of humor. That's our target market, I think. Am I wrong? Yeah, pretty much. No, pretty much that's what it is. No one's getting, like new people who are getting into radio, they're not doing it as a career. It's a springboard. It's kind of like what ESPN is nowadays. ESPN used to be the pinnacle. Like in the, in the 90s and the 2000s, it was, I'm a sports broadcaster in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I need to work my way up where I can go to Bristol, Connecticut and be on, on there. Now ESPN is a springboard just because you want to put that on your LinkedIn, you put it on your resume yeah. to do something else. And that's kind of what radio is now because anyone who's 24, 23 who's an intern is not looking to be in radio full time. They're looking to do it so they can say, hey, I interned somewhere, I worked at a radio station, here's some call letters, and now I'm doing this. And right. that's kind of what it is. And then so what they do with these prep services who, and the people using them, they use them because, again, it's lazy material. Now, I'll say this, though, now that Twitter is a little bit different and now that the uh, websites and how we're able to aggregate information is a lot, is a lot more user-friendly than it was maybe about 10 years ago when prep services and radio, uh, you would use like FARC.com was around and a couple other places right. where it was, that was your go-to. You would say, okay, well, what's, what's in the news? What's going on? So you would check it out. So. It uh, radio radio has changed. Uh, our station where I work has changed a lot. It's now a we do we do our morning show, which is a news sh news morning show, and then at nine o'clock we switch to the soft hits of the seventies and eighties. Can we, I listen to that online? Because I'm not gonna lie to you, that's my fucking wheelhouse. Our our first a little Pablo Cruz, a little fucking uh. Who's the guy I can't think of now? Oh, Chris Cross? You do a little Christopher Cross? It's Christopher Cross. Today we started, when I when I was on the board today, it was Billy Joel followed by Anita Baker. Ooh, Sweet Love. Sweet Love was the song, yep. Uh, yeah, As well, Thomas Jefferson once said, nigger please, I know. <laughs> he did, he was the first one to say it. It was actually the preferences on a Z Harmony profile. <laughs> this guy the, so in radio, so what? basically what happened is, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell the story, is that I am... I used to, when, when the guy I produced the show for, when he would be on vacation, uh, I would be the fill-in. The problem right. is, during the COVID era, I had a lot of questions as to how we were doing things, and I got my hosting duties taken away from me. So, <laughs> so you know, because I think, gee, I, I think this is a little, I said this in April, I remember it was April 9th, I'm like, this is a little bit of an overreaction of shutting down businesses, keep saying what's essential, what's not essential. And I said, but why is it that I'm a healthy 32-year-old who tries to take care of himself when I'm not drinking or smoking cigars um, or, or driving through fast food places, but um, I try to take care of myself and I do what I can. I was running. I was doing a lot more outside and getting fresh air. Why do I need to stay home? But why, do the, why does the old person, the fat person, 
have to go to the grocery store? Why do I have to quarantine, but they can go out? Why can't it be the opposite where they stay home and the rest of us live our lives? Well, you can't say that. People need to social distance. This is what's going to work. This is going to help if people just wore their masks. Now, by the way, this gator, they've said that this gator, it's, it, you may as well not be wearing anything. You may as well not be wearing anything because oh, yeah. they said that there's, and I said, that's why I wear it because I don't want to sit there looking like I'm a surgeon, like I'm freaking Howie Mandel from St. Elsewhere. How old are you? <laughs> Jesus Christ. I was going to say Ed Begley Jr. Again. <laughs> Again. <laughs> that's 1983? <clears throat> you weren't alive yet. By the way, here's a fun St. Elsewhere thing. So okay. St. Elsewhere was produced by MTM Enterprises. Mary Tyler Moore. And which was Grant Tinker and Mary, Mary Tyler Moore's husband was the owner of the company. And they had all those shows like the Bob Newhart show and uh, the White Shadow. You know, they had a lot of those shows. Well, at the end, you notice when they would have the cat. Yeah. They would, they would meow. So take off of MGM. 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 So they wanted to find a kitten. So they found a little kitten. It was named Mimsy. Mimsy the cat. And they found it in, I believe it was, I think it was actually Minneapolis, St. Paul area. They found it at a shelter. It wasn't actually meowing. It was like a lip-synced meow. But that cat lived to be 20 years old from 1968 to 1988. Wow. And in the final episode of St. Elsewhere, right. they show the cat. But at that, time, at that time, it's 20 years old, and they put it on life support. Go on, go on YouTube. You should check it out. It's the cat, Mimsy the cat, the same cat that you saw for all those years with the cute little meow. Is now it like that's eight... what I'm doing right now. That's what I'm doing. Are you peeing or are you jerking yeah. off? Are you pulling a Jeffrey Tubin on me right now? <laughs> Taking a piss. <laughs> I love my apartment. Go the, on. The so, uh... wait. So the cat was healthy, but they just for a little fucking feel good thing, they put it on life support. Like, yeah, not feel good, but. Just a little fucking, oh, an Easter egg. They yeah, it, yeah. remember they would do things where it would be like all the different shows, like with the white shadow would be bouncing a basketball and it would be doing some other things. Yeah, I so forgot what they, about that, but yes. So what they did is they put Mimsy, Mimsy was just basically taking a nap, and they put like an IV in its arm, and it has the sound of like the defibrillator, or uh, uh, what, what am I thinking of, the, uh, the heart monitor. The EKG. The EKG. Where? And it's going off, and, and then at the end of the episode, it, Flatlines, and people oh, got really. That's the end of that's the final episode. A final episode of Saint Elsewhere, and it, it Which, flatlines. Which, by the way, I, I watched a bit. It was all a dream. It was a retarded kid's dream, <laughs> right? Not not to be confused with your your aspirations of being a comedian, which is also a retarded kid's dream. That's good. Or or the that's classic really episode good. of uh, Quantum Leap, where he's uh, where <laughs> he looks in the mirror, and he's wearing a Bullwinkle sweatshirt, and goes, "I'm retarded." <laughs> it's it's just hilarious, but uh, yeah. So yeah, the COVID stuff. I, I'm I'm bothered by it. It, I I wear a mask as little as possible. Yeah, that's why I try to do everything outside. I've been playing softball outside. Um, you know, I, the only times I do it is I. The only reason I wear a mask, and this is the only reason. It's the same way you wear one. Is I don't care about anyone else. I care about the businesses. I care yeah. about because I don't want somebody calling the cops or calling a news station on businesses because I walked into a <clears throat> I walked into a Sunoco station so I can get some Red Bull and a six pack and I didn't wear a mask and somebody 
tries to take their liquor license away from them by saying, I saw somebody who was in there who wasn't wearing a mask. Right. So right. I only do it for the business owner. I don't do it for you. And, and the, the, the line that I tell, and my dad tells it all the time, and everybody else, my dad's in his 60s, but he, is, he, he doesn't believe in all this stuff either, and it's overreaction. I okay. say, it's not my responsibility that you can't take care of yourself. Yeah. If, I always say, if I'm on a subway, and if I'm sitting next to you on a subway, and we both sneeze, and... I, and you say Gazintai, and I look at you and scream, I could die, then you should be like, you shouldn't be outside. <clears throat> I don't wear a mask on the subway, and I get dirty looks, I don't care. But if someone like 70 gets on the subway next to me, I will put one on out of respect to them because I'm like, you're, playing, you're trying to fight this. I get it, okay? Yeah. So I'll dance with you. But if I'm fucking sitting there and everyone's younger than me and I'm 51, daddy looks great. I know. I'm sorry. I'll say it. But if you're fucking on this subway and you're going to give me a dirty look, I can't be bothered. I can't. And I'll talk about it all day. And, and this was my problem with baseball. And I'm sure they got a problem with this. I'm like, you can't convince me that fucking this, what, this is what helps further sell the fucking narrative. Oh, now we just can't get infections. We can't get infected. And we can. <clears throat> Do I want to get it? No. Am I worried about getting it? I can't. I can't let it steal my life. But if you fucking were to sit there. Uh, like, no, why can't you have, let me ask you this, why can't, at, at, at Cleveland Stadium, which we went through that time we were there, beautiful stadium, you can't put 6,000. Yeah, or, Oregon O'Connor was working that day. Yeah, remember that? <laughs> Look, Daddy, a monster. You can't put 6,000 people in that stadium outside in warm weather, all things that fucking Fauci himself said were safe, uh, and fucking sa safely socially distance them, you can. What happens when you don't? Well, then when one player gets COVID, like, the Met, like happened to the Mets, if you sent 6,000 people to, that, to, to fucking City Field, another one, and, and everyone got up and it was the old Wally World, sorry kids, park is closed, and you said, you gotta go home, the game's canceled, and I said, why? You would have to say to 6,000 people, we canceled the game because this guy right here has a d disease that given his age, he only, excuse me, has a virus that given his age, he only has a .001, not 01, .001% chance uh, no, you would, I guess you'd say he has a disease that has a 0.001% chance of killing him. You're like, what? Yeah, yeah. he's got a 99.99% chance of surviving. So we're canceling the game. People <clears throat> would be like, are you insane if you had to say that out loud? But when you don't have to say that to a single soul because you're not putting people in the stadium, you know what you get to put as a headline, Tony? You get to put, and this was an actual headline, Yankees-Mets series canceled due to COVID. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? What does that say? You canceled two of the most iconic teams in baseball. Yankees-Mets three-game series canceled due to COVID. Not, hey, we canceled the game because one guy has it, so we canceled all three games. It's like people are like, oh, my God, COVID's a fucking nightmare. One guy got it, and they had to cancel. That's what furthers the stupidity of it. And what fucking smacks the stupid people in the face is me sitting on the subway without a mask saying, what? Yeah. What? You're killing people. Get the fuck out of my face. Unfortunately, I'm not killing you because you won't die because you're young and healthy. So what Get if you so what if you it's flu season you have the flu and you're at Walgreens or Dwayne Reed or something and you're standing in line you get some chicken soup you get some ginger ale some uh, some orange juice vitamin C maybe some Nyquil. Con what <laughs> Who needs those? I I don't remember what those are. I I don't know I don't know what I, I think I I think I finally wear a mask as often now as I've worn condoms. So <laughs> they do the same thing, nothing. <laughs> so, like, it's flu season. Let's go back one year ago, and you're in line at, at Walgreens, and you're checking out, and there's an old lady behind you. You didn't think two things about that old lady. What if that old lady got your cold because you used the same touchpad and died, and you didn't realize it? So 
If all those people are dying because you're a super spreader, because I'm, uh, you know, oh, I can't believe you're, you're, you're killing people. It's, bi it's biochemical warfare that you're doing. And I'm like, it's not, again, it's not my responsibility. You can't take care of yourself. And you notice the new thing that they're saying, because they mention cases. They're not mentioning hospitalizations or death, but they're saying cases and long haulers. Oh, what about these oh, long haulers? that's a new one. Isn't, isn't Alyssa Milano a long hauler? Yeah, exactly. And that I mean stupid twatsicle? <laughs> I thought long hauler was when she was dating uh, Matt Kemp. But anyways. Ah, uh, this guy gets it. The, uh, so they're saying, well, yeah, okay, they're recovered from it. They didn't die, but they're having issues with their lungs years from now. Okay, well, what about the people who, for example, let's say you're playing football and you blew out your knee. And then five years later you can tell when it's going to rain. It's going to rain today because your knee kind of feels that arthritis feel. Yeah. Anytime well, you get hauler. something. You're a long hauler. Exactly. Get, is that what you're saying? Yeah. You're right. Oh, my God, you poor son of a bitch. Anytime you, you, get, anytime you get some of these, whether you get an illness, you break something, you're going to have repercussions down the road. You, like if you broke your finger when you're 15, that by the time you're 60, you might start getting arthritis because of that finger. So you're going to say, well, fuck, I should have cut my finger off when I had the chance. Otherwise, it would have been fine. No, you, you, we have to, what Trump said, you have to live with the virus. You have to do it. Trump is a 74-year-old man who eats horseshit food yeah. and doesn't exercise and doesn't do it, and he was alive. Chris Christie is an aging boomer who's, who's morbidly obese. He survived. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and my, my favorite is when they use the anecdotal evidence as the true evidence, where they say, well, what about the twenty? What about the twenty-five-year-old teacher who got it? And you're like, okay, well, pull up the article. They said twenty-five-year-old teacher dies of it. Well, the first thing you think of is, oh, well, they're a teacher, and that means that they probably got it in the classroom, which means we need to shut schools down. Until you, of course, you realize that they didn't get it in school. Schools weren't even in session, and the teacher who ended up getting it also has diabetes, had lupus, uh, had cancer when they were fifteen. And they had a weakened immune system anyways. The other one, my favorite was the, uh, there was somebody who was a, actually there were two favorites. One of them was a college football player that died of it. And it made it seem like, oh, well, they need to shut down the program, that college football, because he must have gotten it there. Well, no, the program didn't start up. They weren't even there that year. And he had like sarcoidosis and he had a couple other diseases and everything. Sarcoidosis, and that's a... That's a that's a house disease. It's always sarcoidosis. It's not lupus. Go on. <laughs> it's not the field one. Yeah. And and then the other one was it was like a writer for Cosmopolitan. They said she's 29 years old. And she was at the peak of her life, and she had an opportunity to write for Cosmo or Glamour or whatever the horseshit magazines were, and she ended up dying just as she got this virus. And you start scrolling down, and about 18 paragraphs into this whole bio of her, she's 450 pounds. You say, uh, oh, I get it now. So yeah. now we're using anecdotal evidence as the reason we need to keep healthy kids. We, it, the, the kids who are healthy, they either need to stay home and do I have a buddy of mine who's a teacher, who's a teacher in a predominantly black school district who cannot wait to go back to school because there right. are too many students who are smoking weed on camera, showing their ass and their tits or their dick, or... They're not even showing up at all. They say, oh, I had internet problems. I couldn't go to school today. So the truancy rates are so high. Well, so let you me say, what are we fucking up all these people, all these kids for it, for a disease? Are the teachers, that's I got to ask you this, are the teachers scared of it? Because that's, the, that's what I'm, 
I'm not paying attention, but that's like almost what I'm gleaning from it. Like, oh my God, the teachers are afraid to get it from kids and kids don't spread it. Asymptomatic people don't spread it. Like nothing says it better than the fucking, uh, you know, the Titans who got shut down. That was in the sports sheet, by the way. I said, I think we found the cure for COVID. It's Buffalo. Because <laughs> they got fat on them. Yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, the, the, the Titans, when they first got it, they found out the day after they played the Vikings. You know how many Vikings have gotten it after they spent four hours rolling around, sweating, tackling? None. Yeah. Because they were asymptomatic, and asymptomatic doesn't spread. And I'm curious, what did the te- how, how's your friend, the teacher, and I'm sure he talks to other ones, are they afraid to go back? Because that's the, that's the thing I get from some teachers. Well, not from teachers. From, from the story, I hear like some teachers are terrified of getting it. Is that what goes on? Well, they are because they're liberal. And, li- right. and it's the disease has been politicized, but not in the way that a lot of people think. That now we're, t- we're taping this before the election, so I don't know what's going to happen, but a lot of the teachers and media people want COVID. They're rooting for COVID because they want it to make sure that Trump's not going to be of president. Of course, yes. So, and that gets back to what I said. I think it got away from them, and now they're like, well, we can't wrap this up after the election, but go on. I want to hear this. I, I don't care who's president. I want the schools open. I want the, the restaurants, and I want the bars, and I want everything reopened. And the right. thing is, the te- teachers, media members, they're all very liberal. Over 90% of teachers and media members are Democrats, are either registered Democrats, far left, Antifa, whatever it is. what we're teaching kids these days, but go on. And because Trump and Republicans and red states are the ones who are open, they want things to be open, they want us to live our lives, they say, well, I can't be like them, so I'm going to go the opposite way and say, hey, no, I, we need to lock up, this is ridiculous. Because if Joe Biden wins, he already said, I'm going to listen to the scientists and want mask mandates and to lock the states down again. For, for what? For what? We need to reopen things. We need to selective quarantine. If you're old, if you're scared, if you're fat, if you have pre-existing conditions, you stay home. Me, I'll go out. I'll go to a concert. I'll, right. I'll do a we'll comedy show. We'll live our lives. You're free to stay inside. And, That's, and, and it's political. That it's gets political. back to the faggot thing. You're not allowed to shut us down. Go on. I'm sorry, dude. But no, it's political. That's what it's become is that they've made it a political thing that if Barack Obama were president, may not be the case. But, you know, it's, it's really sad it, that what we've gotten to. So it's, <clears throat> but I, I don't know where the end goal is. Now in Ohio, here's what we have. Now most of our places are open, though they're at like 25 or 50% capacity. Right. And there's mask mandates and stuff. But the big thing is these, these restaurants and bars, are all, most of them, especially the mom and pops, are going to go under. Because they put a 10 p.m. curfew with alcohol. So bars have to close at 11 o'clock. My favorite bar in fucking the one I used to bartend at, the one in Brooklyn I got my start at, Angry Wade's. It's going out of business. Fucking the best people in the world. Yep. Just fucking lost their gigs. Uh, the last day is Halloween. And by the way, that's the next day I'm drinking. I'm getting shitty at that. So, so those places go away, but Applebee's and Buffalo Wild Wings can stay open because they, they yeah. have their handouts for bailout money. But in Ohio... 9.50 is the last call. So think about it. If you're at a comedy club, and when I was doing the shows with Florentine, that by the second show, the second show starts at 9.30. So by the time you get to the second comic, it's last call. So by the time Florentine or who's ever headlining, everyone's oh, just wow. trashed. Everyone's trashed. Because yeah. everyone's like, instead of saying, oh, I will get another drink, you'll say, oh, I will get another pitcher. And the drinks have to be off the table by 11 o'clock. They will come around because they're afraid that there's goons from the governor are just going to come in and say, oh, it's 10.59, I'll take this, and that's what they do. So you cannot order after 9.50, 
and alcohol has to be either consumed or taken away by 10:59. And they said that 61% of restaurants and bars will close in 2021 because of this. And the only way that they'll stay open is if they get some kind of money. And the only ones that are going to stay open are Chili's and Applebee's and you know what, whatever bar you can think of at that point. And all the mom and pops, the you know Stan's Corner Bar, are going to go away. And, and that's just the thing that gets me that I've always said that drives me nuts. <clears throat> like, fucking, you can't control. It's easier to control people that are afraid, and you can't. And people that are afraid aren't laughing. And that's why you talk about that there. At least they have a plan there, even though it's bullshit. There's no plan here. Like, we're, they don't even fucking register comedy clubs here in New York, the fucking home of it. They're fucking locking us out of our clubhouse. And that's why I love these, these comedy clubs that are adapting. They're like, then we'll do it outside. But it's insane how they, they fucking don't even plan for comedy. And that's what you need more than ever. And I say that in my act as well. It's a fact. Laughter heals you. Relieves stress, releases endorphins. The old phrase, laughter is the best medicine, isn't a cute saying. It's a fucking medical fact now. And the people, the cancel culture, that not only doesn't want to laugh, they want you to see us, they want you to see uh, them not laughing and feel bad for laughing. That should be a hate crime. That really should be. And people don't get that. Now, like, yeah, we, we don't have time to fucking worry about comedy. Uh, you can't convince me there's not something bigger going on. You can't. Yeah. It's like, why wouldn't you want people laughing right now more than ever? The I can't think of a greater stress reliever than laughter that's, you know, easy for everybody. Not everyone can play softball. Not everyone can play basketball. Not everyone can run or fucking, you know, but everyone can sit down and laugh. Everyone. And they take that from you because, I'm sorry, they're like, who are they? And I always say, I don't know who they are, but there is somebody doing this. You can't convince me otherwise. And it's, a, and it's a form of therapy, too, especially if you're a musician or a comedian. And, yes. And I always say this about with these concert halls closed, that these, not everybody is Billy Joel, not everyone's Elton John where you're making that kind of money. There's a lot of, like, say you're a band who had a one-hit like one good hit, like you know, you're, let's say your Marcy Playground, for example. I was going to say Big Country because you keep using these old references, but go on. All right, let me let, let me let me dig deep in here. Let's say uh, let's say your uh, Bronski beat. Wow. <laughs> I'm hanging up. <laughs> so you have one hit, and you tour with that one hit, and then you put out a new album. Say, hey, we have a new album. Buy it, whatever you want. Uh, <clears throat> they're struggling to get by because they rely on touring, and. Right. So then they, they say, well, if you're going to open up the concert halls, how do you ensure safety? And the answer is you don't. How, so how about, a bar, how about a bar or a restaurant that serves somebody alcohol and they leave, but you don't realize how drunk that person is. And then they get behind the wheel and they plow into somebody and kill them. Is the bar liable for that? Or was that the personal responsibility? It should be personal responsibility. I should be able to say, look, I know the risks of COVID right now. If I get this, I might get the sniffles and I might get a cough for two days. Right. But I really like this band and I want to have a good time. I'm with my wife. I'm with my buddies. I'm with whoever. Let's do it. Or I want to go to a comedy show. <clears throat> I should be able to do it without restrictions and let me live my life. You're scared. You don't want to go out. You're afraid of going to the grocery store. I, like, I know people here in Ohio that are like, I've only left this. I've only left my house twice, and it's been to the grocery store. And the only other times is I saw my mom in a parking lot in, in the driveway, and we had masks on, and we waved at a distance, and we threw some food onto their front porch. I'm like, and and you feel that that's living life. Oh, but we need to sacrifice. Sacrifice for who? Yeah. Sacrifice for fucking who? It, it and 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 I said this. 
like, look, I played the game long enough. I, when my, when this first started, my niece and nephew, who anyone that follows me knows, are the greatest two things in my life. I, I fucking adore them more than anything. And they were, they're 16 and 18, well, 15, 17 when it started. And I stayed away because they have grandparents. And I played by the rules. And I'm like, I'm not, I didn't see my niece and nephew for five months. And I didn't go near them because I didn't want to give them something to give to their grandparents, who they also had to stay away from, right? But now it's like, you go fuck yourself. And same thing, I didn't go see my family in Jersey because one of my cousins is 69. And they're all like, get over here. We're done with this shit. We're all fucking done with this shit. Look, we played the game, and now we're done playing the game. I can't play your game anymore. I'm tired of it. I'm just, I'm tired of it. And it should be, look, if you want to stay home, stay home. If you want to go out, go out. It, it, but it's, I, I feel bad. It, I argue with all these people that when it comes to, they're saying, oh, you need to have virtual Thanksgiving. You love your family, right? Well, we're going to limit gatherings, so you should probably... Look, how about everybody make a dish and you show it on Zoom? No. While Black Lives Matter and women's marches and they're protesting in favor of black trans women in Brooklyn and have 20,000 people there shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, but they're wearing masks. But I was told the masks aren't 100%. So aren't you taking a risk there? Well, but you know what? Uh, This disease is really deadly, but you know what's a deadlier disease is racism. Oh, great. Which book of cliches did you get get that one out of, fuckhead? Jesus Christ. It just, this whole year, but especially, I think April was the one that really bothered me because that's when everybody in this country, it seemed, was praising the governors and the mayors and the health directors. Like in New York, how many people are going like, oh, thank you, Andrew Cuomo. You're saving. How many lives are you saving? We had this in, in Ohio. Mike DeWine, our governor, our rhino governor, he's a Republican, but yeah, not really. And right. they, so he would do his daily press conferences, 2 o'clock, and everyone was calling it, hey, it's wine with DeWine time. I'm going to get a glass of wine because I'm working from home, and I get to... We're going to watch what Mike DeWine's telling us about coronavirus and about wearing masks. And they had a female health director to the point where they were making T-shirts. They were making bobbleheads. They even made a Laverne and Shirley-like cartoon praising what a great job they were doing. I'm like, what do you mean what a great job? How many people have overdosed? How many people have relapsed? How many people have committed suicide because their livelihoods were taken away from them? But we have to praise them because they saved the life of a 93-year-old woman who had cancer 20 years ago. I'll double down on that because how about the fucking... This is what drives me nuts with Black Lives Matter. Excuse me, with the fucking NBA. It's so nice seeing, uh, you know, a, a guy that makes $8 million a year wearing the word equality on his shirt to, remind, <laughs> to give them an even fucking, you know, chance. And let me say this. It, it ties it, what reminded me of it, what you said, Tony. Uh, you know how people are out of work and they can't feed their family? You know, because of, uh, didn't we fly them to Disney World for free, the greatest place on earth, to do their job? No. We did, we did the NBA, but yet you're going to sit here and say we're racist system. Stop it. Yeah. Stop it. It's, it's, it's a, privilege. It's it's, no, it's class privilege is what it is. It doesn't matter what color you are. The color that matters is green. Without but, a doubt. And I said that, like I said that in one of my football videos, BLM was on the mound opening night in baseball. And now it's fucking, it's fucking Jack Daniels. It's Geico. Uh, it's, it's uh, whatever. It's, it's all of these sponsors. Uh, DraftKings, and I said, because BLM stands for Baseball Loves Money. And the joke <laughs> I did that I loved in the video, I said, I said, and nothing is more ridiculous than having a BLM logo on a mound when, you know, you're going to tell us how to raise their kids? Maybe they need to raise their kids. I raise mine fine. I don't need baseball to tell me how to raise my kids. And of all things, 
you're going to fucking have BLM on a mound where the guy's actually using a rubber? Please, don't. Please, don't. <laughs> and what's the other thing I said? Oh, I said, oh, and Geico's my favorite because unlike the people that get arrested at BLM rallies and I showed all white people, I said the spokesman for Geico is a gecko and he's proud of being colored. Oh, my God. <laughs> he's also a it's, foreigner. I don't want him in this country either. That's true. That's true. I'm, I'm a xenophobe. <laughs> well... We'll, we'll wrap up here in a few minutes, but I want to get your uh, takes on sports since we're talking a little more about sports. So you're, you told me you're a Chargers fan only because they had the late games when you were growing up. After the Eagles would play, the Chargers yeah. would be on at 425 and you would watch them, right? I grew up in the late 70s, early 80s, and we did the total guinea thing. We were altar boys, right? So we'd, uh, we'd wake up. Me and my brother were altar boys at 12 o'clock mass. We'd go to 12 o'clock mass. We would then go to Rosenhain, New Jersey, quit bragging, hang out with my dad's family. Uh, and the Eagles game was on, but I was hanging out with them, didn't really watch them, never got into them. By the time I got home, and again, late 70s, early 80s, you had, you had I could tell you, you had seven channels. You had seven. You had four on VHF. You had uh, CBS, ABC, NBC, and PBS. And you had three on UHF, Channel 17, the Phillies were on, Channel 29, MASH was on, Channel 48, the Flintstones. This is the shit I used to watch. So by the time you got home, you got – and the Eagles were blacked out half the time. I could say blacked out, right? Yeah, exactly. Colored yeah, out. I don't want to make an off-colored comment. <laughs> uh, but 90% of the time, the 4 o'clock game on AFC was – and you'll appreciate this part that, that, that people don't get. One, it was the Chargers 90% of the time. Eric Coriel, Fowler, <laughs> Joyner, Chandler, Winslow, and they were fun to watch, and they had powder blue unis, and I loved them. I loved their unis. Never stopped following them. Two, back then, if you were a Phillies fan, you got to see the Phillies on Channel 17 <laughs> – if you were a fan of a different team, say like the Milwaukee Brewers or the Cleveland Indians, you're never going to see them. Maybe on Monday Night Baseball. If you're a basketball fan, you're watching the Sixers 20 games a year. If you're a fan of the Bucks or the fucking, you know, Mavericks, never going to see them. Uh, same thing, hockey, who cares? But NFL, I see the Chargers five, six times a year. Okay, let's say I'm watching a Raiders-Broncos uh, game. You know what they're doing? They're going to clips of the Chargers, so I'm seeing clips of them. I'm watching them on Monday Night Football, seeing highlights, and I saw them every week in some capacity never stop following it's been a nightmare but that's that's the fandom that i can't shake and i'm glad i haven't they've never won they will what what, what what about that uh what about that championship run they had in uh was it 94 with stan humphreys as their quarterback oh no, you're yeah a 90 yeah 94 stan humphreys super bowl 29 against the fucking 49ers and they got raped but yeah that was great they beat the steelers was that uh, Na was that natron means who was the uh was running natron back Natron means business motherfucker. <laughs> you, want, you want the answer to a great trivia question Who's the only NFL player to be in five consecutive losing Super Bowls? I'll give you a huge hint, uh, two hints. It's not Frank Reich, but he was a quarterback for the Bills. Oh, it was, uh, oh, God, it was Steve DeBerg? It was Dale Gilbert. Oh, okay. And he even played a little. Stan Humphreys got, he was four years on the Bills, went to the Chargers, Chargers made the Super Bowl. Humphreys hurt his arm on a couple plays. He came out. Dale Gilbert was in. He's lost five consecutive Super Bowls. That's amazing. Even though, and then you have people like uh, Charles Haley who won five Super Bowls. Yeah, just uh, the right place, right time. Yeah, but and uh, guy, Lonnie Smith won two World Series in like three years, <clears throat> Phillies and Royal, or Cardinals. And I think Eric Hinsky went to three straight World Series with three different teams. Yes, Red Sox, well, Red Sox, Phillies, and um, Yankees. Really? Was yep. it Hinsky? I thought it was. Yeah, I, I heard that, but I. I, I can't. Or was a, no, he wasn't with the Phillies. It was the Rays, but it was that I, same was same Rays, World yeah. Series, 2008. But uh, yeah, that was the thing. Is uh, growing up for me was <clears throat> they That's still. That's the good part. That's where they keep the cancer. That's the good. Yeah, exactly. Part. Yeah, the 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 stubs there. The, we only um, have three a week. Friday is one hell of a week. <laughs> 
So, we, I mean, with me growing up, because I'm, I'm wearing this Browns gator because I got it at Walmart for five bucks. But uh, the Browns, so I'm 32 and the Browns left in 95. And yeah. I needed, so I was really starting to get into the Browns. Actually, it was that 94 season when they went to the playoffs with Bill Belichick. Testaverde was their quarterback. They had already cut Bernie Kosar the year before. and um, They cut the Jew for the guinea, nope, by the No, Bernie wasn't a Jew. That's right. You always think it was. By the way, Bernie's still one of the cool. He lives in Miami now. He's still doing shit. He's so, such a cool fucking dude. I, on, I, I should get you guys. Even cooler now that I know he's not. I'm kidding. Yeah, exactly. Ber- Bernie, Bernie, had, uh, Bernie had a little, little fun with the nose candy. Yeah. Uh, and ironically, the, uh, not his wife, but there was a Playboy playmate named Heather Kozar, who was actually right. married to Tim Couch, the other quarterback from the Browns. Sure. But anyways, um, so when the Browns, so the Browns in 94, they go 11-5. and five. Last time they were any good. And next year they announced they were leaving. They were 5-3 and three by the time Art Modell moves, announces their move after the season to Baltimore. Then they, I think they lost out. or They like, went they, tits up, and, and, and understandably so, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so the Browns leave, and I'm like, all right, well, I need, I need a new team to root for. So I started right. rooting for the, uh, so I started rooting for the Houston Oilers because I'm like, oh, that's a team that's not going to leave. Yeah. And they left the next year. <laughs> oh, my God, you're a curse. Absolutely. Oh, here's Woody again. Yo, dude. Hey. Hey, who's that? Hi, Leah. Hi. How you doing? Hi. Gino says hi. Hi, Leah. Hi. Congratulations, pretty girl. He says congratulations. So cute. I no, he said I. Oh, I, thank you. So. Oh, well, let me do a, a gratuitous dick joke. Look at that pussy. Look, All right, look at the done. pussy. <laughs> there you go. She's, and the kitty's adorable. He's so cute. And then Harpo's in there, too. He's four and a half. He's somewhere. But anyways. I, uh, I, I got an Instagram message. There's a follower on my Instagram called Baby Girl Autumn, and it's a dude, but that's the name of his cat. Uh, and he sent me a message yesterday because I do picks with six, which was wrong again. And my producer, Joe Fernandez, I do a thing called Gino's Picks, 14 seasons. And my producer, Joe Fernandez, who's been since day one, he's a Giants fan. I'm like, who do you like tonight? And he told me. He told me. He's like, I think the Giants are going to do just enough to barely lose. That's exactly what they did. And yet I took the Eagles laying five. Yeah, Daniel Jones he, trips over nothing. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, oh, but the guy tweeted me. He's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, the way you love that cat. It's like that's why I went and adopted this one from a shelter. And that's said, fantastic. You didn't adopt that cat. That cat was at the shelter waiting for you. Mm-hmm. These cats choose us. It's like comedy. Like this cat, I, I say in the act. I told her already. Uh, Might have been the last episode. <laughs> but it, there's no doubt in my mind. This cat's like, no, you're not doing me a favor. You're a disaster. And I think cats do that. I really do. Yeah, that's Every what. That, that's my my cat Harpo. I wasn't even looking to get a cat that day, and uh, it just happened to look in the in the the cage that he was in, and he smacks me in the face, and I'm like, "That's my cat." That's that's, that's happening. Great. That's him. So, yeah. but but anyways, get back to sports really quick. So I'm like, "All right, so the Browns move. I need a new team because I'm not rooting for the former Browns now in Baltimore." I'm going to root for the Oilers because I loved Eddie George. I was an Ohio State fan at the time, and they had Steve right. McNair, and they had Frank Wycheck, and they had a bunch of those. Bruce Matthews I loved. And uh, yeah. then they leave the next year. I'm like, what the fuck? I need a new team. And that was, that was what was funny because getting back to what you were saying about not seeing teams, that I had to find – I had to be creative when trying to find teams because actually growing up, <clears throat> so o- old Cleveland Stadium would house like 80,000 people there. Right. And if there were 79,998 seats filled, but two seats weren't filled, they'd black the game out. So growing up, 
as much as I was a Browns fan, I couldn't watch him much, because, and I didn't know blackout rules growing up. I'm like, right. wait, why am I watching the Vikings versus the fucking Dolphins right now? And yeah. it's because they had the blackout rules. So by the time they came back at every time, but it's been a disaster since they've been back. They, they shouldn't have put the team together that quickly, that, you know, in 99, they should have waited. They should have came out in 02 when David Carr and the Texans came out. Instead, they yeah. rushed him back. They got a terrible head coach. They got a terrible team. Tim Couch is probably their best quarterback they've had. And sadly, Baker Mayfield's number two with them. But my God, it, it is, it, it's been bad. I don't know how. By the time this this gets posted, I don't know. I don't know how the Browns are going to be this season. But uh, let the record show that I said this years ago. I said, uh, "I'm like, look, fucking." I said at the beginning of last year when everyone's like they're going to make plays. I'm like, what do you get about Baker Mayfield being an inaccurate quarterback and Odell Beckham Jr. being a cancer? And everything I say about Odell Beckham Jr. the next week, I'm wrong. Like two weeks ago, I'm like, he's done. <clears throat> fucking, he's a brat. He's a distraction. He scores every way possible, imaginable against three the touchdowns. I'm like yep. I was wrong about him. And then he goes out and he throws another fit this week. He gets banned by LSU for two fucking years for what he did at that. He's such a distraction, and it's such a great team. And, I mean, it is. I'm not kissing your ass. It's a good team. They're a run first between fucking Chubb, who will get better, Hunt, who is staying out of trouble, even though he's nuts. Even that, I mean, they're such a good team, but but you got to get rid of Mayfield. He's just not the quarterback. He's not. He's inaccurate and he's a fucking prima donna. What if they use Mayfield as like an Alex Smith where he's just a he's not going to put up 400 yards you can't a game because he, he's fucking too much. You have to like when he I I'm, I'm saying you can't because in my opinion that's why he gave the ball to fucking what's his name so much in that win against Dallas. Like look, Stefanski I think is a great head coach. And I think he's like, look, we're going to get you we're going to keep try and keep you happy. But it's not going to be every week. You're going to have some weeks like you did against Dallas. And he's like, okay, and then it's not enough a week later. And fucking you have a run-first offense with a guy like Mayfield who's doing progressive commercials already. Get over yourself. Get famous. Get good. Get get fucking, you know, get legit first. And it's just a distraction to him, I think. And I don't think he's the answer. I think if you don't fucking make the playoffs this year, he's gone. And he needs to be. They're going to have to look in a college show. Yeah, he's got to get a little fire lit under him. He's got to read yeah. the playbook a little bit. Uh let, let me ask you, getting to baseball, what was your – because you're a Phillies fan, right? Yeah, a, a huge. <clears throat> so what was your favorite team, the 81 team or the 80 team, the 83 team, or the 93 team? 80 team. The 80 was – The just, one that won. Because I was so much younger. Well, they won in – and then the 2008 team was great too, but it broke my heart because I knew more <clears throat> about baseball then, and they're like the Chargers. They should have won so much more with what they had. You know, they, they had such an incredible pitching staff, and they only won one World Series, uh, but I love them. I, I loved them because it was, it was one thing to watch them as a kid growing up in 1980 in, in Jersey as a, you know, as a fan, and another thing to watch them in New York beating on the Mets and stuff, but it was, it'll always be the 80s team. Like, you know, Lonnie Smith, Mike Schmidt. I can tell you names of Greg Lusinski. Yeah, and I loved them. Yeah, the Bull. I, I mean, that was the team that I'll always love. You know, Bob Boone. Do you remember that? Do you remember that play where it was? Pete I think Rose, in the final yeah. game where and where it bounces off his glove and Pete Rose catches it. To this day, I say, look, I, I love that. That's a that's a iconic image from my youth. But I don't want Pete Rose in the in the Hall of Fame. I don't want people that insult us in the Hall of Fame. We're fans, and we'll always root for you. Never has there been a better dichotomy than fucking two pitchers for the Yankees, fucking uh, Clemens and Pettit, and they both get accused of it. And Clemens. 
fucking like, I didn't do anything. Yeah, you did. And Pettit's like, I did. I'm sorry. And we couldn't wait to forgive him. But <laughs> Pete Rose is another one that, that's like, I never gambled. I never gambled. Then a week before his book comes out, you're damn right I gambled to sell books. Yeah, remember that, remember that Jim Gray interview uh, at the All-Star game? Jim Gray just starts pestering him and says, hey, I'm here with Pete Rose. Pete, just admit it. You bet on the game. He's like, it's like, Jim, not the time to talk about it. It's like, but you got to admit, you bet on the game, didn't you? It's like, look, I'm not talking about this right now. It's just yeah. what a fucking asshole Jim Gray was, but, you know. But, but that's what some people do. They're like, let me make it about me to get fucking fans and, and get my sound bite. And it's like, you're an asshole, too. I, I got to say, I love that 93 Phillies team because you had Dykstra. You had oh. guys like Morandini, Stocker. Uh, you had Pete Incavelia, John Cruck, Darren Dalton. Yeah. I, I'm not, by the way, for folks listening, I'm not reading these. I'm just naming off my yeah. head. Milt, well, they were such a fun team. Milt Thompson yeah. was in center field. You had Terry oh. Mulholland started the All-Star game. Schilling, yeah. Tommy Green. You had Larry Anderson. You had the Wild Thing. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, what was his name? Uh, Schilling was the ace. Yeah. What Dude, was, and, uh, West, West Chamberlain. Team. Yeah, but that's why I love the 2018 because I used to say, if you're just starting to follow baseball, they were such a fun team. Shane Victorino, you know what I mean? They, uh, they were such a fun uh, – Jimmy Rollins, fucking Ryan uh, Howard before Utley. he was an annoying, overpaid idiot. Chase Utley, come on. Carlos Ruiz at Hamels. They had – Yeah, it, that, was a good, that was a good team, and it came at the same time that the Mets should have been good. Yeah. Because when, when the Mets had guys like uh, Oliver Perez um, – I don't uh, – Santana wasn't on that team yet, but uh, – no. They had uh, Delgado, they had Jose Reyes, David Wright, and I'm like, oh, this team is... And then they had that epic collapse with Willie Randolph as the manager, and it was just fantastic. And then, yeah, when that Philly, but that Philly team should have been a dynasty, and they kept that team together too long. By, yeah. the t- by the time they ended, they were just mediocre. Like, Ryan Howard would play 50 games a year, Utley was getting hurt, Victorino got traded, or he, or he signed with the Red Sox, and... It just Utley, wasn't the same not Utley, He was great, but Ryan Howard, by the end, whenever he had a home run, I would say, let me guess, they were down 17 <laughs> runs or up eight. He had the most padded stats ever. It was like, yeah, this guy's useless right now. It was it was a good team, but it should have kept going, and uh, they, they got Cliff Lee the next year. They traded him, yeah. uh, trade for him and uh, playing that 9 World Series. But, yeah, they just – some dynasties, uh, like the Cleveland Indians in the 90s, should have won a World Series, but they didn't because they never had a true ace. They had Dennis Martinez, who was an alcoholic and over his over the hill at that time, and Oral Hershiser, whose best years were way behind him. Yeah. And then their next he, time they go to the World Series in '97, their ace was Oral Hershiser again, who was 40. <laughs> he was 40, and then they had Charles Nagy. They had uh, Jarrett Wright, who they thought was going to be the next Nolan Ryan, and he wasn't. And it just, uh, God, they're still waiting since '48. Still waiting. Yeah, they and then the, the what they they choked three to one against the Cubs, fucking insane. Which which I love that because so I'm not an Indians fan anymore after what happened in uh, 2007. So uh, I, I I don't like how they manage their team in the uh, the front office. I really in in 2007 they brought on Buck Showalter as a senior advisor. Right. Buck thought he's getting the job as a manager, but they had Eric Wedge, who was a mediocre minor league manager that they loved because he was their guy. So Buck leaves and goes to ESPN and says, I'm not going to be the manager right now. So then they keep Eric Wedge, and the team just sucks because it's just poorly coached, poorly managed. He would take guys out. He would take pitchers out before they were done, or he would leave them in too long. He just never knew how to deal with a, a starting rotation. And then, uh, 
So I stopped being an Indians fan. I'm an Angels fan. So I, I started rooting for the Angels because in the next year in 2008, I went out I had family in Orange County, and I went out to Orange County and went tailgating at the Big A. And it was, it was just like a regular season game for the Angels and, and Rangers. <clears throat> and I'm out there, I'm like, this is great. I love this. And the team was good because they had guys like um, Big Vlad Guerrero at the time, and they had uh, Jared Weaver and a bunch of guys. I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to follow this team. I like them. I've been a fan of from the days of Salmon and Jim Edmonds and Troy Gloss and all that. I'm like, I'm going to be a fan of this team. So, so the Indians, when they went down 3-1, to one, it was great because when the, when the Cavs won against the Warriors and were up 3-1 and they won it, which I, just really bothered me because I, I didn't really care that much, I was so happy the Indians blew a 3-1 lead to the Cubs. <laughs> Loved every minute of it. It's fucking great. The, the Indians also blocked my credential when I was working for MLB. And plus, you were well, that was the same year the fucking Cavs came back down 3-1. So you, you had that. I'm guessing you're a Cavs fan. Yeah. So you had that going for you, which is nice. <clears throat> LeBron, LeBron really bothered me that year. It was just one, It was just all that stuff with LeBron. Like It was funny because the, the Cavs win the championship. The Indians are a game, actually extra innings away from winning a championship. And the Browns went 1-15. <laughs> <laughs> And then it went 0-16 the next year, so it was fantastic. All right. Ugh. Well, we can wrap up here. I'll let you, let you get going, get back to your life here on Friday. But uh, in hot water, at Diamond Eugene one on Twitter, you're on Instagram Yeah, hopefully Instagram I'm, I'm not Facebook. banned anymore. I was by then. But, yeah, uh, but GinoBisconti.com, thanks to my website. Uh, it's kind of clunky looking, but I don't care. It gets the job done. It's everything you need. Or if you just Google GinoBisconti.com, no matter how you spell it, trust me, Gino Bisconti Comedian comes up. If you Google that, and somebody makes, spelled it J I N O once, and B I, and they're like, "This is who you meant," because there's no other comedian remotely spelled that way. Yeah, and also is uh, Gino is amazing still available to download and purchase? Uncle Gino is still Uncle Gino is amazing. Yep. Yeah, download that. There it is. So do that for you. So thanks everyone for listening. This is going to be in two parts. So I hope you enjoyed both parts of it. And Gino, again, thanks so much for being a part of it. Enjoy your fucking weekend. Kiss the lovely lady and those wonderful cats for me. Buddy. We'll do so. Thanks, man. Late. Lay. Bye.